Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. What we are actually doing is going through Acts chapter 2, and we're breaking verse 41 down all the way down to 47. And we're going to be going through this for the next few weeks, and we are excited to convey this message and share with you. But I want you to open your syllabus, if you will, right now. And if you don't have it at home, you can open it up on your screen. If you have a second screen or flip to it, there should be a link right there. And we're going to read the community creed together. We believe here at Riverside Church that when we begin to confess in agreement what God's word says about us, what God's word is everything. God's word means everything. So we stand by it. And so, if you will, just read this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I was not created to live isolated. I was created for community. The church isn't just a building I go to. It's a family I belong to. We are called to love, encourage, and lift each other up as we do life together. God is pleased by our unity and our love for one another. It is Jesus that brings us together and binds us together. We are the church. We are the church. The church is such an important, I'm not going to say establishment or institution, because it's really an organism. It's really the body of believers coming together. And when the church comes together and you have a place to bring your family, that's in agreement with your core values in your life. You create community. Now, some of you have a community in your personal lives already, a group of friends, a certain place you go to, people that you enjoy. We create those environments. But the church was established in the earth earth for a reason. And that's what we're going to go over today. So if you grab your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to be talking about the DNA of community, and we're going to start off with the importance of the church. And if you'll turn with me, we're just going to read one verse today. We normally go through a lengthy scripture text, but we're going to go through this one verse, and we're going to just break it down and relay it to a simple understanding. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you don't know what the book of Acts is, it's referenced as the book of Acts, the actions of the apostles. The apostles who once once were disciples in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament, those disciples that were with Jesus were discipled to teach what they ought to convey to the world. And then Paul was converted, and then he joined the 12, and then they began to go out, or he did. So the scripture says that this is what the church began to do after it was established. In verse 42, it said, and they continued, everyone say steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine. A lot of people don't know what doctrine is. Doctrine is your belief system, is what you live by. It's your value system according to God's word. It's really the words that Jesus said that we should do and fulfill. And he taught it to the apostles. And so they taught it. And so it says the apostles' doctrine, because those is, that's exactly what Jesus taught them. They're teaching us. And fellowship in the breaking of bread 
and in prayer, and in prayer. The DNA of community can be understood in the New Testament church in the book of Acts. The reason why we are here is to, number one, we want to all engage and understand Jesus, but we have to understand who we really are in this world, in this moment, to be effective. So that's what we're going to do today. With God's help, we're going to go through this. It won't take us long, but if you'll get with me and open your hearts, I really believe God will speak to you and give you good direction. And everybody say amen. amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Give Jesus one more hand clap because he's so worthy. He's so worthy. I mentioned that you have in your personal life created community. You have a community of friends, a community of believers. If you have a community, some of you would call it your crew. Some of you would call it your gang, your friends, whatever it may be. You have probably established one in your life. The church is here for you. The church is here in this world to introduce you to Jesus. The reason why most of you come to church every Sunday and some on Wednesdays is because you have a relationship with Jesus. And the reason you have a relationship with Jesus is because somebody taught you. Someone explained it to you. Through all the hustle and bustle, someplace in your life, you had enough time to slow down and listen. You do know that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? So we can listen. Sometimes God has to take us and allow us to go through things, trouble, circumstances, just so we can listen. Uh, that's how some of you got into church. Some of you got into church because before you met Jesus, you were in trouble. Some of you came into this because you were broken. Others were loved into this by family. Others were trained into it like my children, like your children. We've always said it before we make jokes about it that I tell everybody my kids growing up had a drug problem. We drugged them to every single service <laughs> every time the doors were open. But they have established and we have established and you have established community. That's one of the core values of this church. It's tied in with community. It's discipleship. Through community, we disciple. We help one another. We're here for one another. You have to understand that you're not by yourself, that you are part of a group of people. And the importance of the church, we have to look back and see how God established a, a stronghold in this world, a, uh, rather a, a refuge in this world. When you look at God's people and before in the Old Testament, when they were brought out of Egypt, God's people came out of Egypt so they could worship him. They were under the tyranny of Pharaoh and his, his strong hand, and, and we know the story. There were taskmasters. Some of you remember seeing the movie when you were younger, The Ten Commandments. How many of you remember that, that, that movie? Uh, you have a depiction of that in your mind, and then when they went into the wilderness, they were assembled together. And God gave them a specific structure, and he gave them specific guidelines 
to help them, to line them up with his will. And they were coming out of transition. They were leaving a life that was, was hard. It wasn't, the challenges will never stop. They weren't ever going to stop because we know the story in the wilderness that they did have challenges. But the God was on their side and God was going to help them at this part of their life. And the one thing that God did for them, he gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle and gave him the law. If you look at this slide right here, this is the first place of worship that God established for Israel. The purpose of them building this was to put God at the center of their life. There's another picture of this tabernacle that actually shows all the camps, the 12 tribes of Israel, encamped around this tabernacle. And in this tabernacle was the instructions that God gave to the priest, gave to Moses. They were to go through and have the rituals of the burnt sacrifices and the, the washing of the labor. And they were going to go into what we look at now in the center of there, the tent, which was the holy place or, and the holy of holies. By, the, by what you've learned in this church and what we have taught you is that this place represented the presence of God that was encapsulated in the Ark of the Covenant. And in that box called the Ark of the Covenant, it was in the center of that tent. It was the focus. And God used it for a point of contact. In other words, he used it to represent his presence. That's why you'll find after this where King David comes in. King David comes in and retrieves the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines because he had read in history that the reason why God was with Israel is because they kept the house of God in the center of their community. They kept his presence in the center of their families. And then David desired to do something better. He wanted to build a nice-looking house for God. He didn't want to have tents. He didn't want to have the curtains. God begged David. God said, Lord, if you'll let me build a house, it would be a pleasure. God spoke to David and told him, I can't, you can't, because you've shed so much blood, I can't allow you to build the house, but I will let your son build me a house. And then right here, we look at the temple that Solomon built. The temple that Solomon built was actually a lot more extravagant and very, uh, it was adorned with jewels and gold, and uh, in fact, it said that when the queen of Sheba came from the south to look and to pick the brain, if you will, of the mind of Solomon, she looked at all of the array and the organization of this, his, his kingdom and the tabernacle and everything else that God had placed in his hands. And she said, I had heard about you. But the other half has never been told. In other words, there's some things here that I'm seeing that I had never heard of. One of those things was this temple. This was a better version, 2.0, if you will, of what Moses had. But yet the same practices took place. The Holy of Holies, the altar, the, the laver. 
it was all placed there. And they knew as long as God was in, to, was in the center of Israel's life that Israel would be blessed. In fact, when you look at the, uh, the moment when Solomon becomes king and he goes in and he's ordained, uh, he goes to God and he says, Lord, I, I just want you to give me wisdom, that you would grant me wisdom to rule your people, to guide them and to direct them. He asks for God's help. And God says, because you've asked me for this, uh, you didn't ask me for life, you didn't ask me for money, I I'm going to give you that. And there's not going to be a man wiser than you that will ever be on the face of the earth. And God blessed Solomon. It was a prosperous time in Israel. But the reason why he was prosperous and the reason why they were able to overcome obstacles was because of this place. In fact, God gave us the scripture that we still use today and gave them a scripture in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 where it says, if I ever cause the heavens to cease and the rain to stop, if there's ever a pestilence, if there's ever locusts, if there's ever anything that kills your crops, if, if you will stop, if my people will stop, if my people will pray from this place, from this place, I will hear from heaven. If my people who are called by my name will repent of their ways, if they'll stop living the life that they're living to themselves, get rid of selfishness and put your hearts in my hand. In other words, if my people who are called by my name, my family, has there anybody here that gave your life to Jesus and you know that God has your name and you have his name? And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. See, that's what happened with most of us. That's why we're here, because circumstances humbled us. But then we come with a broken heart to God. He said, if you'll call on my name and I will hear. How many of you found God in the church or among church people? You found yourself being saved in a community of believers, whether now we we have the internet and we're able to do this and God's able to reach more people. But he said, when you pray from this place, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins and I will heal your land. The healing of the land was nothing more than a, byproduct, a byproduct of the healing of the heart. The healing of the land was nothing more than a byproduct of a heart being healed. And so now we look at the New Testament and we look at the church and now we don't come per se to temples to meet God because this building right now is just nothing more than a gathering place for the real church, which is you. And you being the carrier of God and just you being the church was just as important to the, as the tabernacle was to Moses' generation. The tabernacle and what it meant with the presence of God being in Israel was so important, it brought victories in their life. The presence of God defeated every enemy. The presence of God came in and blessed them and protected them. And as important as the temple and the ark was in Solomon's generation, so is the church in our generation. But until we identify now that because of your relationship with God, 
through repentance, through baptism, through the infilling of his spirit, you are now have become the temple of God. Here's this slide. I've used this slide in teaching Bible studies, and I've gone through a series of lessons to teach that you are now the temple of God through the act of what God pro provided for the priest. Through the act of obedience, we've been obedient to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and experience God. And therefore, God said in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in sight of you? Somebody say, I am the church. You are. You are the church. 2 Corinthians 6 and 13 says, What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Are you the for you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You are his people. You belong to him. But the part of this semester and this very, the kickoff and kicking off this, this semester, we want to really convey the one message to you that the DNA of community is found in the church and what they did in the book of Acts. What they did there and what they exercised was based on who they were. It was so important for the early church to stay together. It was so important for the early church to unite together. And for that reason, because they had a strong unity is because they had a strong foundation. Let me say this again. Just like the temple and the ark was important to Moses' generation, and it was relevant for them for winning and being prosperous and being protected, it's relevant your relevance in this world is the exact same to our generation. The only reason why a geographical location in any part of this nation is blessed is because God is in it. According to the Bible, according to the word of God, when you look at it, it's righteousness, according to Proverbs, that exalts a nation. It's righteousness. I do believe with all of my heart that if an individual will allow God to change them, then that individual has the influence to let God change their family. And if that family will give themselves over to God wholeheartedly, then that family has the ability to affect their community and so forth. And it never stops. As long as you keep God first and you spread your influence, you let the proverbial snowball roll and build momentum, there is nothing God can't do. You see, that's what happened to the New Testament church. The New Testament church, it was said of them that they, they, meaning the disciples, they that were with Jesus turned the world upside down. It says that, that they turned their world upside down. That means that they didn't agree with everybody. They, didn't, they weren't influenced by the world and a different culture. But the church developed its own culture. 
and started being influenced as a citizen from another kingdom. But the one thing they had is that we need today and what we're building today is this. Point number one, our foundation is Jesus and the apostles' teachings. That's what the Bible is. Every Old Testament book, Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, points to Jesus. Everything that Jesus said and everything that's read, lettered in the New Testament is fulfilled in the book of Acts by the disciples who are then called apostles. And everything after that from Romans to Revelation are epistles, letters written from the apostles to the churches they started in the book of Acts. Everything points to one thing, Jesus. And Jesus points to the church, his body. What we are doing here today will change the world in the long run. What you are doing here today as a dad coming into God's house, surrendering your life, will change your children in the long run. Every mother that's here today, what you're doing, you're allowing God to make a deposit. You're allowing your heart to be directed by the word of God. And you are setting your family up for success. And your family is going to do well. And your family is going to prosper. And you will sit at your table and they will call you blessed with your family. They'll be like fruitful vines growing around you, as the scripture says. And you'll find yourself in this place called favor. The favor of God comes into our life when we recognize that we are citizens of God. When the church begins to embrace the community that God has for them, there's going to be a challenge that you have to turn your back on a culture built by this world, and you cannot be afraid of being canceled. could put my hands in my pocket, just walk a little bit up here. It's all right. But you got to know where your strength and your help comes from. You have to know who is your friend, who is your family, who is your part of your community. The Apostle Paul was trying to tell the Ephesian church this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. It says, so now, you Gentiles. Now, a Gentile was someone who wasn't a Jew outside the faith. That was you and I. So, you so now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. In other words, he's telling the Ephesian church, don't allow the religious community to identify you as being outside the camp. Don't allow religious people to look at you and say, you don't know Jesus. You don't know God. You have no favor with God. You have no place with God. Aren't you thankful that God sees the heart and God doesn't judge a man from the outward, but God sees what you're thinking? God knows that we make mistakes. The problem that you're in right now was no surprise to God, and so it's not shocking to him, but he was well prepared for this moment. And he will take every moment in your life and turn it around for good once you put your life in his hands. I've seen it time and time and time again. In fact, I shouldn't be up here. I was the son of a nightclub owner. I was a son 
of a man who built businesses and that was supposed to do something else. I was never, ever, according to the world standard, ever supposed to be a pastor. But look, if it not were for the grace of God, here I am because of his grace. But look around you. Look around. There are people here that shouldn't be here. There are people here that should be in jail, possibly incarcerated, but now you're in the house of God. But let me also go a step further. There are some of you in here that were incarcerated, but are now in the house of God. There are people here that have been redeemed, and you found your people. You found hope. You found strength. You found life. The apostle Paul said, hold on a second. He said, wait. Reprogram your mind. Allow the Spirit of God, in other words, to re-identify you and who you really are. He said, verse 19, again, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. See, he was talking to people that came out of this outcast community. People that always look from a distance into a religious community that thought to themselves, man, I, I wish I can be a part of that, but I don't know what my friends are going to say. People that saw the blessings of God in other people's lives from a different perspective thinking, I wish I had that in my life. The good news is that Jesus didn't come to die for religious people. Jesus came to set people free from religion. Jesus came to set people free from every circumstance that separates them from him. And the church said this in verse 20. He said to them, together we are his house. Turn to someone and tell them you are the house of God. Don't say you look like a house because that may be a different thing. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. In other words, the main structural point of strength and endurance is going to be the cornerstone. For every foundation that was built, now this is a different kind of perspective. From a builder's perspective, this wasn't like pouring concrete. Foundations weren't like foundations today. Foundations here in the biblical times, in their times, were stones that were hewn out of the mountain. And those stones that were placed, placed on the ground after the ground was level had to be compressed into one point so they can be strong and stay together. However, the technology, whatever they had at that time, I don't know. But I do know there had to be one strong stone that could take the pressure that was stronger than all the rest. That was called the cornerstone. And in the foundation that God has established in the church, Jesus is the one who went through all the pressure, overcame hell, death, and the grave. He was the one that healed every disease and never got a disease. He allowed himself to also give his own body to the, to the cross and through the crucifixion. But yet, three days after his burial, he rose again. He's been through it all is what I'm trying to tell you. He has been through it all, and there is nothing that you're going through that can really discourage him from helping you. There is no problem in your life that would limit God to working in your life. There is nothing there. We serve a God and a Savior who is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all has all wisdom, 
and authority, and he wants to help you. This is Jesus. Somebody say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. The early church knew what they had, and they came together to keep what they gotten. The early church knew what they had, who they were, and they had to stay together to keep their identity and their strength. There is strength in numbers. No man is an island unto themselves. No one was made to live life alone. And I understand that because I'm a loner, man. I don't hang around too many people. I like being alone. I'm good with that. If I'm around you, I love you. I love hanging around you. That's a compliment, just me being around you. But, but I'm just telling you, I know me. I, my family, my wife wants to go and have a party. And, well, she's a little bit more laid back now, I think. I don't know. I, I know that she loves being around people. Me, I love you. I, I'm, right now, this is what I do. I'm helping you. I love doing this. But as far as being around, uh, you, know, you know, I've said this many times. Just let, when we go on vacation, this is what vacation is for me. Everyone else is coming up with their schedules. They're planning this, planning that. Let's be here. Let's go do this. I tell my family every single year, I do not care where we go. Just give me my own room. Let me be in a place where I can just be well, and, and read a book. I get it. Not everybody needs somebody to survive. But I will say this. You need the church to thrive. You can't be without the church. You can't be the priest of your home and never go to the house of God. You understand what I'm saying to you? Because we're living in a digital age right now where, where everybody claims that the Internet is their pastor. I mean, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. God has established a government within the church body. And in that government, there is an anointing and there is a special gift that flows. What I'm saying to you is, is that so I may not be social, but when I come into church and I raise my hand, y'all raise your hands, I raise my hands with you. I've learned that there's a power in that, that there is agreement in that. That's why the scripture says, if you want to understand the corporate anointing, you have to understand how the body works when it's together. The scripture says that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put how many to flight? Ten thousand. Now, that, I don't know, that's multiplication at some point. I don't know how they come up with that equation, how God did. It doesn't matter to me. All I know is, is that, you know, I would have thought in my mind, if one can put 1,000, two can put 2,000, right? That's human reasoning, right? Men add. The devil subtracts, but God multiplies. So I understand that concept. So when I come together in the house of God, that means that my positive side to me is beginning to multiply the grace of God inside of me is beginning to multiply but it's great when I'm by myself but when I pray with the corporate house God said I've established another equation you don't understand it but when you join together with someone else in agreement it pleases me I multiply the help the anointing the answered prayers. I multiplied the help. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? There's nothing like coming to church 
in a spirit-filled environment and feeling the worship and the praise and the prayer and, and, and just different. In this environment, there is something different. I need church. I need, I have to have church. I need you in my life as a church family. I agree with you. I, I have the same values you have. We have the same foundation together. That's why now when I go into a problem, I'm not going into a problem by myself. I've got Jesus, and I've got my whole family with me. We pray for one another here, right? We pray for one another. That's why we put our problems, you know, we, we put the, uh, the, 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 if you will, the hand signal of, hey, here's my name. You don't know my problem, but I need some help. That's why we submit prayer requests. Because we're telling the church, pray for me. There is nothing wrong with asking for prayer. In this generation, as far as men are concerned, we have this machismo type uh, approach to, to, oh, man, I got it. I'm all right. I'm all right. No, hombre, I'm good, man. I'm good. You need prayer. You need Jesus. You need someone in your life. You need... You need somebody to believe in you. We all do. But point number two, the church understood this and they stayed together. That's why point number two says, without unity, there is no house. Without unity, there is no house. So in that same portion of scripture that you look at, I'm going to go down a verse, Ephesians 2 and 21 and 22. Listen to what it says in that same letter from, from Paul to the Ephesians. He said, we are carefully, I like that word carefully, joined together in him. That means that God has strategically began to place you in the body where you belong. You are where you are because of who you are and what he's going to do in your life. In other words, you coming to church and being part of a body is no accident. And if you'll give in to it and grow, You'll find your purpose. I don't, man, that was so good. I need to say it again. You're not here by accident. You're not watching by accident. God knew you would be here. He knew the struggles, and he knew the triumphs, and he knew the trials. But if you'll surrender to growing in him, you'll find your purpose. Watch, here's what it says. Verse 21, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. You mean I'm holy? According to the blood of Jesus, you are. Without the blood of Jesus, you're not. Very simple. When you ask for forgiveness from God, he's easy to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, how do I do that? Say I'm sorry and don't do it anymore. And if you fail, keep on trying until he helps you. Well, I don't, how does he help me? Ask him to help you desire him to help you through him you gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where god lives by his spirit you're the house of god this is where god lives not in the building but in the people but when the people come together the multiplication factor comes into effect what you can't do by yourself God says you can join someone else and whatever to agree in touching one thing I'll do it in heaven 
community. Somebody say community. Somebody say, I need the church. Uh, if it's important to you, it's important to God. That, that's, just, that's just the way it is. God cares about you. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Little things. Little things. But you're the one thing, you are the small domino that God wants to use to collapse a chain of events. You're the one thing that God is waiting for to completely surrender. Let me show you this illustration really quick and kind of explain this to you. I read this from a book, a book called The One Thing. And, and in this book, the author begins to write and tell about uh, if you'll just focus on the one thing that you're good at or you have skill for, or talent for, or if you hone your skill in that one area of your life, that you'll be more effective than you would be doing 12 things at once. Multitasking your whole life when you do nothing more than diverse your energy to different places where it's less impactful. You can either have a shotgun approach or a rifle perspective and you do something long term. You focus your energy on so many other things that you're lacking what you really value in your life because you find yourself spread out thin. But in the New Testament church, they kept the main thing, the main thing. They stayed together. They kept close together. They broke house, bread house to house and prayed together. They, they stayed one in Jesus. And see, so here's the concept. The, the theory goes uh, that if you take a domino at a certain size, no matter how big or small it is, and the, next, the, the, the one next to it is at least 50% more of its height and size, 50%. It has the ability to knock it over as long as it stays within 50% of its full capacity. The next one has to be 50% of that one, and you can knock that bigger one over. Now, it's easy to knock things that are the same size. You, there's no limit to that, but there also is no limit to this and I'm going to say that that second domino would represent things that are beyond us that we have questions about. I'm going to say the big domino would be that big picture thing that we have a feeling of it being impossible for us to accomplish. What we fail to recognize is that it all lies in the very first domino. The very first thing we must do. I believe that that first domino, just my imagination and thought and perspective is, is us. I believe that everything begins with us. No matter what that represents in your life, this could re represent ministry. This could represent your family. This could represent your career, your business. I, with, no matter what it represents to you, if God is in it, that first one is you. You and I. And until God is able to change this, God can never change anything else. But when God is able to influence you, let's break it down. First domino. Here, here we are, right here. But what we grow frustrated in is our ability to knock down this one over here. What is this? Could be national influence. 
It could be global influence. It could be our entire family, all of our family, all of our cousins, all of our uncles, all of our aunts. This could be salvation to all of our family. This could represent the clients and the customers. It could be anything. I'm, I'm not limiting God to what he wants to do in your life. I'm trying to help all of you understand that there are no limits. But here's what we have to understand. Let's say we go back to family. Until and your wife is here or, or your children, maybe just your mother, your father, whoever it might be, you will never see the change in their life until God has completely changed yours. Then no matter how big it is next to you and it seems impossible, he's given you the leverage to influence them. And once you have fully influenced them because of your fully surrendering to him, then they will influence somebody else. So it kind of goes like this. Let's just use this for an example. It starts off with the husband. I always go to the men. If it's a family, because why? Well, because when, when, when Eve ate the apple, he didn't go to Eve. Who did he go to? Adam. Whether we like it or not, men, we're responsible. It always falls back on the guy. Because God ordered it that way when it comes to the family. So everything rises and falls on leadership, according to John Maxwell. But according to the word of God, it's the same thing. So here's dad. When dad fully surrenders, he influences mom. When mom and dad are both influenced, they influence the oldest child, the next child. And beyond that, they influence their cousins. They go to the grandma. They do that, and it goes on and on and on to barriers you thought you could never receive. Here's where we're at in, as a nation. Here's where we're at as a nation. If the nation is blessed, it's because local church have learned, churches have learned how to focus on their assignment. God did not call me to America, although I live in America. God has not called. He may have that for my future, but I don't feel it. If the Lord ever gave me a word of prophecy uh, concerning our nation's condition, I would say it, but he has not. That's not my assignment. My assignment is Victoria, Texas. Whether I like it or not, it was voted the most boring town in the United States of America. It don't matter. To me, it's my assignment. I see the good in it, right? This is where God has me. But until I accept who I am and where God put me, I will never be effective. So most people want to take a Facebook, and I'm not, I don't have an act to grind, but I want to give you an example. Most people want to take a Facebook platform and act like they're talking to the nations. Because God's called me to the nations. That's good. What have you done in your community? That's a fact. So here's how it works. God says, before you can affect your neighbor, you first have to allow yourself to be affected. So here it is. Locally, we focus, Riverside Church focuses on the families in our community. And if God is pleased with that and we build momentum, we have the leverage to focus not just on our community, but surrounding counties because we've now influenced our county. And if we've influenced our county, then okay, we go to the next county. And as things progress, then we've influenced the state. And if things progress, then we go into a national level. But if you try to jump from this level, a local level, and try to jump over here where nobody called you, then you're going to be frustrated because you don't have the attention that you feel like you should have. 
and your prayers are... You ever seen that Mexican meme, the one with the Mexican army or that little... Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's okay. There, there is a frustration in God's people because they're not satisfied because they have no results. Let me help you. Go back to the local level. Let me help you. Win your family over first. Let me help you. Go back to your coworkers and start praying for them. Be focused on where you're at. But you cannot do it without the church. Where do you think our influence comes from? It comes from the church. Somebody, and sometime you were here because somebody influenced you from a church, whether it was this one or another one. Some of you are here because your parents influenced you. No matter what, the church was the source. See? Strong families build strong churches. Strong churches build strong communities. Strong communities build strong states. Strong states build strong United States of America. And the strong nation builds a strong world. But somebody's got to start it and be accountable at some point in your life and say, I can't do this by myself. I need a group of people who believe like I do. That's why I come to church. I come to church to withdraw from the well of life. I come to church to get encouraged again with the group of believers that I know have the same values that I've got, that worship the same God that I worship, and then God puts that multiplication factor in there, and what I felt like was impossible for me becomes possible with somebody else that believes. Is there anybody here that believes that this Sunday morning? You're not by yourself. Let me fix this real quick. You're not by yourself. You're not by yourself. Here's what I want to leave you. The condition of the church determines the condition of the nation. The condition of this church. Our assignment here in Victoria, Texas, we have Facebook. We love for people to watch us outside of the state. Across the world, we've had it before, wherever, YouTube, all of that. But really what that's for, it's for you when you're not able to be here. It's for others that are looking for a church. It's for others that we need to influence in this city. How many of you have ever, ever tried to pay for, for, for uh, social media marketing and you tried to put spheres of influence of the people you want to reach? How many of you have ever done social media marketing? Just raise your hand if you understand what I'm talking about. How many of you, if you had a business, here's a just practical. If you had a business, let's say you had a restaurant. If you had a restaurant, God blessed you with the ability to do business, and he gave you the ability to cook, and you thought, I want to help people fight hunger. That's where businesses come from, your desire to help people with problems. That's what restaurants are. They're fighting the people who can't cook. They're fighting for the people who can't cook. They're fighting hunger. That's what God bless the food, food bank of the Golden Crescent. They have always blessed this church, and we support them. But their slogan is fighting hunger. So in your process as a business, if you paid for marketing in North Carolina or Ohio or California, that would be a waste of money. Who was going to drive that far to come over here to help you? 
The same goes for ministry. Who are you trying to reach and make a difference? It has to be within your proximity to make a difference. And if you'll embrace your location, you'll embrace your assignment, you embrace your identity, you embrace who you are, you can be used by God by reaching those that are close to you. If you can't reach them, begin to pray for them, begin to seek God for them, and begin to be part of a community where you get your strength from. There are strength in numbers. You're not by yourself. We are all here together to strengthen each other, to encourage one another, to tell somebody you can make it, you can do it. God is with you. We're going to believe with you. Come on, Haley. We're going to be with you. We're here to pray with you. We're here to believe with you. There's nothing impossible. I'm telling you here today that the church is here to make a difference. And if we agree together that Victoria, no, let's forget about that. Let's forget about that. Let's do this. This is more realistic. If we agree together that we are going to pray together and agree together that every, every family in this church would win the rest of their family members in, their, in, in the Victoria, then we're going to see God begin to do mighty things. Can you imagine just for one moment? Can you imagine your whole family being together in church? See, some of you understand that. And you, get a, you want to know why she's standing up right there? Because God saved her. God brought her out of a cult. God brought her out of a dark place. And she's expecting her family to come in and worship Jesus. I was, I'm just asking you. We got a community here. You have support here, and you have an opportunity here. Before you ever try to reach out to the rest of the world, God, I believe this. God isn't going to allow it until you reach your proximity of influence, which is yourself and your family. But you're not by yourself. That's why we're here to build community. Here's the challenge for the week. And they've got little tables over there in the student area. But join a crew. Build community. Get to know some people. Just do it once a month. And get to know people and get to understand that you're here for a reason. Now, if you're the person, if you're this person here that, that, that says, oh, I'm just here for a season. I'm not talking to you. I've seen plenty of people like that. They, they, they think that you can, you know, how many of you would go home, plan a uh, put a plant in the ground and then uh, three months later or two months later or a week later pick it up and move it again someplace else it never grows because it never gets roots but if you have roots in this church and you desire to see God do something long term then I'm going to encourage you here right now let's start praying for our families let's start praying for our neighbors let's start praying that God would reach out it's all about souls Let's start asking God to move, and let's agree with one another. That's what we're going to do right now. I want you to agree with your family members next to you. I want you to call out your family's name. If, you don't, if you're not next to anybody, that's okay. Jesus will hold your hand and just tell them, Lord, touch my children, touch my mom, touch my dad, touch my aunt and uncles, touch my entire family. Bring us all together to God's house, not just to sit in church, but to have a reality check that we are the church and there's authority and power and blessings and anointing that comes through it. You see, when the early church got together, there was power. 
Let me give you an example, and I'm going to close with this. There was power. When the early church persecuted Peter, he was a pastor, an apostle. And when he was placed into prison, the apostle Peter was placed into prison. They did not go on social media said, oh my God, pray for me. You know, pass this along so my cousin will get out, my nephew will get out for my aunt and uncle. I mean, blah, 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 blah. So we start forming this, this, this unseen world of what, of what we think are people that really agree with us. They don't. It's easy. Anybody can press the like button. That don't mean anything. But the early church said, we're going to go to Rhoda's house. And we're going to go pray. And when Peter was in prison, the church began to pray. They came together. I'm going to tell you, I don't care how big this church gets. I don't care if we go on television one day. I don't care what God does with us. I need a praying church. I need my friends and my family from church. I need believers in my life. And God moved and he sent an angel to open up the doors of prison. And he opened up the first ward, the second ward, and the third ward until Peter came to himself and said, this isn't a vision, this is really happening. Then when he got to Rhoda's house, he knocked on the door. She opened it up, was so shocked that God answered her prayer, shut the door on Peter again. But he walked out and said, I'm here, I'm free. I mean, God's going to surprise you with answered prayers. If you agree. You see, if you're here with your family today, you've got power of agreement. Go home and start focusing on your family. It's going to snowball. It's going to snowball out of your house. It's going to begin to happen. Influence will begin to take place. When you come to church, just start to believe and receive. We're going to pray together right now a prayer that we're going to believe that everyone in your family is going to be saved. Are you ready for that prayer? Will you lift up your hands and just agree with us here? We're going to agree together because you're not by yourself. We have a community and we have the ability to influence. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that every family in this church would be an influence God and the rest of their families. We pray that, Father, that every grandma and grandpa, that even mom or dad, that even those that aren't here, we pray over our brothers and sisters. We pray over our nieces and nephews. We pray over our cousins. God, we pray right now over everyone in our life that's in our proximity, that you would begin to work in their life, that you would show them light, that you would salt them, Father, to create a thirst, that you, dear God, would begin to deal with them through the love of God, through the presence, God, that you carry, that you would give them peace today, dear Lord, that you would give a hunger for you, God, and we're going to keep on pounding at the door of prayer, and we're going to keep on seeking, and we're going to keep on confessing, and we're going to keep on praising, and we're going to keep on declaring that our family is free, that our family is free, that our family is free in the name of Jesus. We loose them from every addiction. We loose them from every judgment. We loose them from every, every problem 
from every snare, from every stronghold. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, come on somebody, somebody shout yes, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.